This is Socrates and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 205 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm, as always, your host, Stefan Butzko. And uh, with me to talk about all things Borussia Dortmund is the voice of reason, Mr. Lars Poermann. Hello, Lars. How are you doing? I'm very flattered, Stefan. The voice of reason or the wet blanket, however you want to call it. Uh, I'm pr I'm pretty <laughs> good. How are you? I'm doing very well myself. Uh, still a little bit jet-lagged after returning from Philadelphia, but that's uh, mostly baseball and postseason related than uh, actually uh, anything else so there's that so if there are any mishaps on this uh, podcast due to my tiredness please excuse that Lars um, I have of course to praise you before anything else because uh, you wrote a very nice piece today which is uh, the tale of stubborn Peter Bosch and the victims of their own success and I can recommend everyone to go on yellowworldpod.com and read that piece Uh, but I assume this will be the extended audio version of that piece uh, since we have to talk about Borussia Dortmund's 3-2 loss against Leipzig and uh, their 1-1 loss, <laughs> if you want to call it that, against uh, Abuel Nicosia. And yeah, we are recording this, of course, on Thursday night. And I have a hunch that uh, in the future there won't be too many podcast recordings on Thursday night because we will be busy watching Dortmund in the EuroLeague. So, um, yeah, without any further ado, Lars, I've heard from many people that uh, the 3-2 uh, topspiel between Dortmund and Leipzig on Saturday night was uh, one of the best Bundesliga games they've seen in a very long time. I guess a couple of Borussia Dortmund fans would slightly disagree with that, considering they are a bit biased biased uh, toward the result however I have to agree in the sense that it was a highly entertaining match and there are a lot of things to talk about uh, of course because Borussia Dortmund lost their very first game of the Bundesliga season and also a 41 home match unbeaten streak in the Bundesliga died so with that Lars uh, where, shall, where shall we start I, I have zero entry points to delve into that conversation because we can start with a lineup we can start with the variant so since i have no idea where to start i'll just let you pick up my slack well first of all i wouldn't necessarily agree that it was one of the all-time great games or you know the, the great games of the recent past simply because i think Football games are at their best when two teams are playing so well that the opponent can't do anything about it. And in this case, it was more about two still pretty good teams uh, exploiting mistakes. So uh, certainly in terms of the Bundesliga, which has lacked in quality a little bit uh, of late and certainly early in this season with uh, Bayern struggling, for example, uh, it was certainly an entertaining game. And I guess we can start with the 
end result and you already mentioned what it meant but the 3-2 loss I think somewhat deserved even though Leipzig didn't do jack from the point they scored their third goal I think they didn't have a single shot on target the rest of the game so with Dortmund fighting back against the odds somewhat even though uh, Stefan Ilsenk was so nice to not only give Dortmund the first goal but also make it 10 against 10 uh, in the second half, uh, even though they they were given that gift by uh, the Austrian, I still think they fought back admirably. And ultimately, if they had gotten that late equalizer, I think everybody would have said uh, that it was a deserved point for the way they fought back. But ultimately, I think Leipzig were the more mature side, made fewer mistakes, even though they weren't flawless, obviously. And Certainly considering that Leipzig were without uh, Forsberg and Werner and only had Naby Keita for 45 minutes, the narrative that Dortmund struggled against the top, top sides of the world uh, doesn't maybe doesn't even apply here because Leipzig were far from their best. Now, obviously, the same can be said about Dortmund, who were without not only Marco Reus, but also their first three or four left-backs and their first right-backs, so... Both teams not at their absolute best, personnel-wise, but uh, I still think that Dortmund being at home, uh, having played relatively well throughout the Bundesliga season, uh, will have looked at that game at Leipzig's lineup and considered it a game they should win. And ultimately, it's probably at least a point dropped somewhat needlessly against still a pretty good side. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Dortmund uh, could have definitely won the game. However, uh, I can be a little bit smug because I won the uh, Aral Supercard, <laughs> the journal, uh, journalist prediction game uh, at the stadium. And uh, yeah, Sascha Flegge gleefully read out my name. But uh, yeah, there there we go. I, I saw it all before. However, I have to admit, I made that prediction before I saw the lineup. And uh I guess that's a talking point uh, because Peter Bosch in the end criticized that Dortmund did not play quickly enough out of the back. It's also a talking point for the Champions League game. However, let's focus on on the Leipzig match. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, I think the most uh, passes were coming from Ömer Toprak to Roman Bürki and... Uh, as we all know now, uh, Yusuf Paulsen, the Leipzig attacker after the game, was very happy in admitting that uh, they were ordered to press Toprak every time he got the ball, and that uh, they, yeah, basically tried to make sure that Dortmund cannot build out, out from the back. So, Lars, with that in mind, and Mark Bartra on, on the bench, do you think that's uh, that's uh, one of the key mistakes? Peter Bosch made that the strongest ball playing center back was uh, not in the starting lineup because Dortmund significantly struggled to have any sort of build up play in the first half. Yeah, I think that's a fair complaint. I think, uh, especially with Sokrates picking up a knock on international duty with Greece, this was a perfect opportunity to play Topak and Bartra, who, in my opinion, are the two centre-backs that should be playing together in the important games, even though Socrates has done largely well in defending. Um, 
and and certainly not only Batra but also with uh, Weigel on the bench and Shine preferred even though Weigel had all the international break to uh, get up to speed a bit after missing four months earlier in the season uh, going without both of them certainly in my opinion a, a bit of a mistake uh, from Bosch and I mean he rectified one half of that mistake with uh, Weigel coming on for Shine at halftime Shine had a bad game the the Unfortunately, uh, Weigel had an even worse game, uh, which I guess we'll talk about a little bit later on. But uh, having to make two substitutions at halftime and then a third substitution after Socrates' sending off meant that Dortmund were playing for 40 uh, 40-odd minutes. Uh, having no subs left against uh, an opponent like Leipzig, uh, who makes you run a great deal at a great deal at high speed, so you really need some freshness late in the game to, especially when you're um, chasing the game like Dortmund were for the most part. So uh, I think Bosch shot himself in the foot a bit with his uh, starting lineup. And and I didn't really understand why, especially looking at the game, he obviously ordered his defense to be sitting a bit deeper because they feared Leipzig's quick transition attacks, uh, which is a point I made in the article you mentioned earlier that Bosch did adjust his system somewhat and, and wasn't the stubborn man he's uh, often portrayed uh, as being. So they sat deeper, uh, didn't have as many wins of possession high up the pitch. So they needed, uh, in my opinion, to have the best possible build-up player to get into the final third, which uh, they failed to do for most of the game. So playing Batra uh, with Toprak wouldn't have allowed uh, Leipzig to stymie Dortmund so early on in the build-up phase because for Leipzig it was very easy. They they pressed Toprak and left Socrates alone for the most part. That's uh, the oldest trick in the book for Dortmund. Uh, remember back when Hummels and Subotic were playing, it was always press Hummels, uh, let Subotic uh, play the balls from uh, out back and usually you can pick up uh, possession either directly because of a misplaced pass or of the rebound, and that's what Leipzig did very well in this game. I think Nabi Keita had like seven interceptions in the in, in his 45 minutes on the pitch, so I think Dortmund kind of played into Leipzig's well-thought-out game plan, so ultimately the starting lineup certainly played a huge part in that, but also uh, I, I think largely we have to point out also that Dortmund, or the, the game in general, uh, all the goals basically came from individual mistakes or individual moments of brilliance. They they didn't come about because of any tactical mishaps from either side. It was individuals making errors or making very good uh, moments happen. So I I wouldn't be too harsh on uh, Peter Bosch in this regard simply because the the, the coach can't do anything about Jeremy Torian's. Uh, lack of attentiveness at a set piece and whatever the hell he did for the second goal. Yeah, that was uh, really something how uh, Jean-Kevin Augustin yeah, completely shredded him. Oh, that was Bruma. I mean, it, uh, was it yeah. Bruma? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you're right. Sorry, Augustin was... Uh, Augustin scored the penalty. The guy with the, yeah, he was, he was the guy with the trick against Porto, I think. Or was it Bruma 2? No, no, that was Augustin. Was, yeah, 
that's that's uh, s somehow what I remembered. And also, uh, he uh, of course drew the foul against Socrates, which we come to in a second. But uh, yeah, I think it's 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 still notable though that uh, Leipzig, with their positioning, managed really well to to win the second boards in this match. I I thought that that made such a big difference for Dortmund to uh, yeah, we're not only playing a lot of long balls as as uh, you already mentioned because their build-up play was not working, but also when they did, there was hardly anything ever coming from it because Leipzig yeah, were quick to regain possession. And uh, yeah, in a way, it's actually very uh, positive for Dortmund, although uh, it was a loss that they set a little bit deeper because I think they otherwise would have been very exposed even without Timo Werner on the field um, in, in this one. And I actually thought it was a positive. And uh, I, yeah, I think I, I wrote it in my preview to the Nicosia match for ESPN as, as well that, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit too early to criticize Peter Bosch for not having a plan plan B or for not adjusting because A, he he did something else with the with back line dropping a little bit deeper. And uh, after the break, he also addressed the issue of not having a really good build up play by trying to switch to a back three. Uh, ultimately, of course, that did not work out because, uh, yeah, Julian Weigel had a very bad touch. But, uh, um, you know, it was also very obvious through the entire game that Leipzig had set up a pressing trap for the defensive midfielder, which was Nuri Schein. And then I think, yeah, Weigel basically ran into it. He took one touch, but there were immediately three Leipzig players around him and, uh, at this point, there's just uh, not too many things he can do other than pass it back to Berkey, who I think should not have to pass it pass. But uh, on the other hand, a Julian Weigel in form and at the top of his game, he may actually find a way to get out of this predicament. But yeah, he didn't. And we all know how the st story went. Um, but I guess there are also a couple of positives. Uh, Dortmund took, of course, the lead in the fourth minute through Aubameyang, capitalizing on Ilzanka making a mistake and then slotting it into the far corner. And uh, I wonder how the match would have panned out had Aubameyang scored again in, what was it, the 13th minute or so, um, right before Leipzig took the lead or so, when Yamolenko played an outrageous pass. Uh, a through ball right into the feet of Aubameyang, who uh, yeah then took a couple of touches too many in this situation, and then in the end failed to beat Gulashi. So yeah, that's that. Um, last, let's talk about Jeremy Toyan. I guess uh, we have to uh, in in I guess in the bigger sense because he also did not start at least against Nicosia. Um, Lukas Pischek at least from my side, is much maligned because I'm not always impressed with him. But uh, Jeremy Tollian, uh, self-proclaimed better at the right-back position and at the left-back position, had had a stinker. So um, going forward, do you think that was that was a negative peak? Or do you just think that's the level Tollian is on? Or do you have no idea and it's just a wait-and-see scenario and... How would you advise Peter Bosch uh, to deal with that situation? Play him again against Frankfurt or drop him for as long as you can? Well, it, it's kind of all of the above. I think uh, I said from the start that I like him better on the left side than on the right side. But uh, as you said, he, he considers himself to be better on the right. And 
I mean, he knows more about himself than I do, uh, I would assume. So uh, the thing is, uh, it can't be a real negative peak because he wasn't that much better against Nicosia. And considering the uh, talent level of uh, Aloneftis uh, on Nicosia's left wing as opposed to that of, you know, Brumer or Augustin or whoever roamed on Leipzig's left wing, I think it might have been actually a worse performance if that's at all possible uh, in the Champions League. So... Yeah, Tolia not on a great run of form at the moment, but uh, as with Bosch, he deserves more time. He wasn't with the team in preseason. Uh, obviously, he's not going to any national teams at the moment because he's too old for the under-21 and not yet or maybe never good enough for the uh, normal German national team. So he was at Dortmund, but with like eight or nine players there uh, and most of the first team gone, it's not like he got any real uh, acclimatization at, uh, done during the international break or whatever. So for him, it's still all a, a, a learning process, I guess. And he's not played in too many hugely important games in front of big audiences. Uh, let's not forget that he wasn't even a regular starter for Hoffenheim last season. So it's all about potential with him and not uh, what, he, what he brings to the table as of right now. So I think if they had another option at right back, a, a regular option and not a center back playing out of position. I think he probably would sit on the bench for a while, especially with Marcel Schmelzer and Rafael Guerrero uh, back available for the most part, I guess. Uh, not sure yet about Guerrero, but uh, all indications are that he's going to be in the squad in one of the next few games. So uh, if they, if if Pischek was available, I think we wouldn't see Torian for two or three weeks just because he might need the mental rest to reset. But they need him unless they want to play a centre-back out wide, which I guess worked out okay-ish against Nicosia, even though I wasn't a great fan of what Bartra did. But yeah, I mean, as I said, they need him. So they need him to, to overcome whatever is going on mentally for him because clearly... Uh, whatever he did against Brumer going down so early and then being afraid of fouling him, that's that's not something about his talent level or uh, lack of quality. That's just something that he needs to snap out of. And I mean, some players react best to just playing the next game and, and having a few good situations there and others need to sit and they can't sit him. So they have to hope he's one of the 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 first group. Yeah, I hope so too, because uh, right now there's uh, not much of a different solution, especially with uh, centre-backs coming ever so becoming even more scarce. Yeah, I think the only, at least for the sorry, one. The only uh, viable alternative is probably going with a back three, uh, because Pulisic can play as a right wing back, especially against teams that sit back relatively deeply. I think with Batra as the right-sided centre-half and Pulisic at wingback that would work relatively okay but as you said they don't have as many center backs as they want to for that and also while I did make the argument that Bosch isn't as stubborn as people think he's probably still too stubborn to go with a back three when he has a back four perfectly available to him yeah we'll see about that uh, in the in the upcoming games um, are there any takeaways from that Leipzig game in the bigger sense um, 
Maybe we want to talk about the title race, for which I still think it won't really be one. Dortmund, of course, still two points ahead of Bayern Munich, and now, uh, yeah, three points ahead of Leipzig. So, uh, and I think Hoffenheim also still in the mix. So it's a nice, very narrow top four group at the uh, top of the table in the Bundesliga. But uh, I have a hunch that Dortmund will not sustain their uh, lead in the table for too long considering Bayern look a little bit revamped under your pankis uh as much as it pains me to say it but uh yeah so you're so you're saying it's not going to take a miracle of Bayern to overcome <laughs> Dortmund's insurmountable five-point advantage in early October no no uh I I feel like uh no I know I know it's 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 a massive hot take but yeah that's that's how I feel about the situation it's a I don't know. I don't like talking about a title race before match day 10 anyway, and Dortmund against Bayern will be on match day 11. So last uh, last question before we move on to Nicosia. Uh, there have been a lot of headlines saying that Borussia Dortmund uh, cannot beat big teams thus far this season. I guess it's hard to argue with that. But uh, looking forward, do you see this changing or do you th think that as soon as... Uh, team of uh, better or equal quality comes around that uh, Dortmund will lose and concede three again uh, the, yeah that's impossible to say obviously uh, I think performance wise both the Real Madrid and the Leipzig games weren't that bad uh, I mean Real were just a buzzsaw with 9 or 10 11 uh, uh, world class players in their team playing close to their best level so uh, it's going to be a struggle for Dortmund any any day of the week if that happens uh, even at Dortmund and uh, as I mentioned before the individual mistakes did them in against Leipzig and it wasn't uh, any overriding issue I would say I mean obviously we don't know that yet but uh, certainly in my opinion still the worst performance against the big team came uh, at Wembley against Spurs so uh, just to file that one away but I mean uh, we'll see against Bayern I guess uh, do they do they face anyone of note in the Bundesliga before that uh, I don't think so it's it's uh, Frankfurt and who's on match day 10 Hanover Hanover yeah so Bayern is the next big match uh, and that's going to be quite something but before we move to Nicosia if I may because you kind of tease any other any other talking points uh, i i want i we we can't leave the leipzig discussion a uh, discussion without praising mario Götze because he was by far the best player on the pitch in the first half and still pretty good in the second half and uh, it, it's it's a shame that dortmund wasted one of his best performances i think uh, as a central midfielder ever uh, in in the way they did uh, losing that game but but Götze was fantastic and if he hadn't been a one-man midfield in the first half, maybe Dortmund wouldn't have been in the situation they were in. Yeah, that's really the shame. And uh, where I, in in the end, really think that, uh, you know, it, it was a double whammy with uh, starting Shine and Castro. I still think that uh, Julian Weigel maybe not being on the top of his game, but I believe that uh, had he started, Dortmund would have had a little bit more pressing resistance with uh, than uh, with Nuri Shain, who, who looked awfully slow and was easily taken out of the game overall, uh, especially with uh, standing in the uh, cover shadows of 
that these two attackers the entire time, more or less. And uh, the same goes for Gonzalo Castro, who I at some point called Cover Shadow Castro because he, uh, yeah, basically was just uh, standing behind his marker, and that was that. And uh, there were very little attempts of him trying to, uh, yeah, be a passing option, which uh, was a bit infuriating, especially with Leipzig being very lopsided in their. I guess it was a 4-3-3 shape in the end that I think that uh, you can react and just move out of your position. However, I don't know how much to, of that is to blame on Castro and how much is to blame on, on Bosch for just being very uh, static because that is the idea that I have of Dortmund sometimes that they in their positioning are very static, which uh, has its advantages. But as we clearly saw against Leipzig, also its disadvantages. So that has to be said, and yes, you were right. You, uh, Mario Götze was uh, the man of the match for Dortmund. Uh, but yeah, as you rightfully wrote, uh, the yellow wall game ball is only for winners. So that's a dud. Um, also, you more or less predicted that Socrates eventually will get punished for his antics, and uh, you were bang on there. So was it? <laughs> Was it a foul in your eyes or in a clear red card that Socrates, I think it was a pull on Augustan and uh, I think he also hit him slightly with his uh, thigh. Clear foul, clear red card because of the rule, because there was no attempt to play the ball. But also uh, the the one game suspension he was hit with uh, tells you all you need to know in terms of the severity of the foul it was a slight tuck that's enough for a penalty and because of the the situation a red card but it, it, he he did far more egregious things in other games he wasn't punished for so i guess that was karma biting him in the end and as you mentioned it's it it, it has been coming for basically the entire season and uh, my prediction actually was that he was going to get hit by one of those via uh, the video assistant refereeing system so uh, it, I actually have to praise Dennis Aitikin, the referee, on the day for seeing it outright. And just in general, I think the referees had an excellent game, uh, letting enough slide in a highly emotional, uh, high-paced uh, affair between two good teams. I think the referee could have been a much bigger issue for the game than he was. And, and nowadays, that's that's enough to earn my praise uh, with Bundesliga referees not not enjoying the greatest, I don't know, two or three years of my time watching the Bundesliga, which is now close to 20 years. Yeah, and I have to agree. To me, it was also a penalty and a red card due to how the rules are. Yes, I would concede that it was a very soft penalty, but it's, it's still enough. And uh, if you reviewed with the video evidence you're always going to say that's a penalty so yeah that happened and of course uh, in the end it helped maybe a little bit uh, to open up the game at least uh, by the latest when Ilsanka got sent off although those two things are not really related but uh, it was it was fun to see a 10 against 10 uh, formation more or less and uh, that helped Dortmund to get back into the game um, and the penalty I think uh, who who did uh, bring Aubameyang down I can't remember uh, Upamecano Upamecano yeah exactly and that that was also a good penalty and uh, yeah very good shout 
so that made things interesting. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit disappointing then that Dortmund, uh, with the momentum and the raw of the yellow wall and, and every everything, uh, you know, they still had a good 25 to a half hour to get an equalizer or to even win it, uh, that they, yeah, more or less just produced one chance at the very death of the game and that we all know did not come off. So, um, yeah, there's that. Stefan, that's the perfect no. segue. The the one chance yeah. at the end that didn't come off. <laughs> yeah, I I I actually wanted to do it, but uh, I don't I don't know if we want to s- start with the end of uh, the game against Nicosia. But uh, yeah, it ultimately brings us to that game because there was this double chance at the very end, and to me that was the only best chance because I didn't think the equalizer that Socrates scored was a valid goal because he uh yeah was more or less uh, holding both arms on on a opposing defender so um yeah that was uh I don't know Lars I guess it's time for the explicit tag because man that was a shit game I mean come on that was, that was just that was just a nothing performance and uh yeah I don't I don't know if we even want to make it too dramatic because sometimes clubs teams just have bad games in in this game yeah there was there was just not much going with Dortmund so I was actually a bit excited to be honest about the uh midfield lineup with was it Weigel Götze and Kagawa and I thought against a defensive minded opponent uh they could produce the uh pass magic that is needed to uh get a breakthrough but that of course was not the case as everyone had the case of the trampoline touch so yeah i don't know how many passes were just off and i don't know how much we want to blame the uh, atrocious atrocious pitch because uh, tottenham of course won their three nothing but uh yeah that was a very terrible game and it wasn't really uh going to go anywhere um last interesting we we already talked a little bit about it a little bit mark batra is the right back i thought he did okay for yeah playing there after a very long time because he played there before for barcelona but it's uh, by all means probably not the long-term solution in the wake of piss check so um yeah what did you make of that back four yeah I mean, uh, it was good for Schmelzer <laughs> to get some minutes, obviously. And uh, other than that, I, I thought maybe uh, Bosch would uh, take the opportunity to play Topak and Barta because they haven't uh, played together too many minutes this season. It was usually uh, Topak coming in for Barta uh, in some of the games. So, uh, but but then Toljan happened against Leipzig probably, and then. Uh, as we mentioned before, he probably needed the to sit on on the bench and and gather his thoughts or whatever because uh, he was so torrid against Leipzig. So ultimately, they they didn't have much of a choice. Uh, I mean, you, I guess you could play Jakob Brunlarsen in a Champions League game, but uh, with this being a must-win game, uh, if they wanted to advance in the Champions League, uh, it it made sense to at least put a senior player out there. And as you mentioned, Bata has played there before. And I would agree that he did relatively okay 
I mean, we we always we always have to put. He, he it was in, always in, going to run forward, like a, a million times, just because he could for once. Yeah, but but some of those runs were the only situations where Dortmund had had somewhat of a presence up front because everyone else, including Yarmolenko on the right wing, had a had a bad game himself. But uh, I I wanted to to I mean I. I do give out grades these days on Twitter, and I think I gave Bartra a three, but uh, with uh, three out of ten, that is. Um, but I think the the best grade on the day went to Socrates, and he had a six, so it's not like uh, Bartra was any worse than the other guys. So uh, I would agree that, or rather hope that it's not a more frequent solution, but uh, for the day, I, I understood it, and ultimately... Uh, I don't accept anyone talking about the lineup uh, against Apoel Nicosia. You have to beat them, whoever's on the pitch, when you are Borussia Dortmund and you need the three points. So I don't think it makes sense to talk about this selection or that selection. I think ultimately it comes down to being ready to play and ready to play on the bad pitch, maybe, but that doesn't matter. Uh, they They just weren't attentive enough they they lack concentration as you mentioned they overhit so many passes they every dribbler ran into people instead of away from him it was just a, a an absolutely wretched hopefully one-off performance which i guess can happen to good teams and every now and then i mean atletico just had a goalless draw against karabakh who are probably even even bigger underdogs. And than, the pitch was significantly better there. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, Karabakh are, are bigger underdogs than Nicosia, all things considered. So I, I'm willing to write it off as a one-off. And I don't think we need to talk about it uh, in, in too much detail just because nothing happened in the game. Yeah, that is true, though. Uh, although you said uh, one should not talk about selection, I will actually make one point. And I thought this would be the sort of game where you actually can rest Aubameyang. Whether this is a must-winner or not, I, I still think Dortmund have the attacking potential to field enough players that can uh, yeah, score against them, even without Aubameyang on the pitch. And uh, yeah, in the end, he wasn't really on the field anyway. So, except for that final chance, of course. Um, yeah, I guess we have to talk about Roman Bürki. He got a lot of bad press. After this game, uh, I have to be honest. Uh, first of all, there is there isn't a better option right now for Dortmund because Weidenfeller certainly isn't, and I don't like knee-jerk reactions like that. Putting uh, the old man back in goal, I, I just don't think that would be the the better solution now, especially with Dortmund definitely needing a goalkeeper that can play from out back as we saw against Leipzig that would have been uh, much of a charm had Birki moved up a little bit forward and maybe made a pass that Toprak or Socrates couldn't but instead he lumped it forward so um, yeah there's that but still he is better than Weinfeller. Um, yeah unfortunate mistake um, how do you think Birki will shake it off because uh, you know he had some criticism after the Champions League of course where he conceded from a short corner a couple of times and and now this do you think uh, his form overall is just a little bit uh, done or do you think it's it's more of a one-time blip no i do think it's fair to uh, criticize Burki, especially in the champions league uh, i'm a i'm a big fan and a huge proponent of Burki. i want him to extend his contract which is going to happen at some point in in this autumn presumably 
but you know when the player doesn't play well you you are well in your rights to mention that and i think Berkey needs to suck it up and play better uh then again he seems to me to be the kind of guy who doesn't respond too well to criticism uh i think he definitely needs and Dortmund are smartly providing that the support of uh, coaches teammates etc so Bosch supported him in his post-match press conference and uh, talk told reporters uh, when they came back at the airport that there's no question Berkey's the number one and uh, the the guy for the long term and however you whatever you say in those moments but uh, ultimately I think every bar Gianluigi Buffon Uh, and that's probably just because I haven't seen him in the league uh, in in the right games over the past 15 years or so. Bar him, every even the best goalkeepers in the world have have these phases where they concede two or three weird, odd-looking goals or even make mistakes. Uh, Manuel Neuer has those moments. David De Gea had those moments early in his Manchester United career. So it's not like uh, Roman Burki is suddenly this huge security risk for Dortmund it's just a bad run of form which happens to every player it's just uh, more in the spotlight when it happens to the goalkeeper so ultimately he's going to get out of it eventually and until then you know the the onus is on Dortmund uh, scoring more than one goal away to uphold Nicosia and and taking him out of the line of fire for uh, conceding a goal that cost them points potentially in Actually, I would agree with you that Lokatis's goal shouldn't have stood, so it could have been even worse. Yeah, Dortmund overall produced three shots in goal in this game, which is just terrible and uh, atrocious, which uh, yeah, more or less rounds up the entire performance because that was uh, pretty embarrassing for Dortmund's standards. Um, as far as Birki is concerned, uh, we must also forget he's 26 years old, and for a goalkeeper, that's actually not that old. I would say uh, I, I think uh, goalkeepers start to become really good uh, yeah with 28 29 years and uh, yeah it's it's within means for Berkey to pick up some more experience and even even those situations I guess in the end will help him to get better and uh, Dortmund fans better hope so because uh, I also think that this uh, contract extension will come soon and uh, yeah it's going to be an interesting discussion but this uh, will be for another time how Dortmund will uh, deal with uh, Weidenfeller retiring and who then will become the second goalkeeper whether it's Daniel Reimann or someone else so that's that's going to be a discussion for another day in the meantime of course um, Dortmund now yeah the soccer power index of ESPN says that Dortmund's chances to progress in the Champions League to the round of 16 is about 6%. So I guess that's a no. Uh, on the flip side, Dortmund, <laughs> according to the same index, I don't know uh, how much we can read in, into that, but they're right now favorites to win the EuroLeague class. Uh, wouldn't that be a nice prospect to have? First of all, I think Dortmund... I mean, that's mathematical, statistical, whatever, but I think Dortmund's chances of progressing aren't that bad. I mean, it's it's not overly likely, but I think it helps that they face Real uh, on the last match day. It might be the case that they don't have anything to play for. And then, I mean, if Dortmund win out, it's going to be about uh, the margin of victory against Spurs, assuming Spurs beat uh, Nicosia at home and lose to Real. So uh, is it... 
out of the realm of possibility for Dortmund to uh, win all three games? No, I don't think so. Is it out of the realm of possibility uh, that Dortmund beats Spurs by two or three goals? I don't think so. So I, I, I'm, I don't expect it to happen. Uh, just going by what we've seen in the Champions League so far and going by how Dortmund usually, uh, usually look in autumn, uh, with injuries and all that piling up and, and more difficult fixtures in the Bundesliga coming their way. But I don't think it's impossible. And talking about the Europa League, uh, I think it's still the, the one trophy their cabinet is lacking. But, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Atletico also faced a drop and I would take Atletico over Dortmund any day of the week. Uh, I think Atletico have shown to be a very strong cup side and, you know, those two are probably the favorites. I don't have a great recollection who else is facing the drop in the Champions League, but I would assume that those two teams and maybe Monaco, uh, are the, the best to drop down to the Europa League and, Ultimately, I would pick Atletico over Dortmund both uh, on two legs or in a in an eventual final at Lyon. So uh, I wouldn't put them in there as favorites. But uh, as we've seen in the few years the Europa League has existed in its current form, everything can happen in that competition. So uh, Dortmund might as well win it or... Uh, drop out in the first knockout stage to a team from Southeast Europe. So uh, I think that's that's very much a discussion for another podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, you mentioned already it's autumn, it's October, the leaves are falling from the trees and uh, almost every season that means Dortmund have an injury crisis and Dortmund are not playing all too well, not at the heights of their capability. And um, you said... In your piece that Dortmund were also favored by a very easy start to the season. And I think that's a very valid argument to make. And uh, if you want to go into detail, you can just read Lars's piece. However, I will make the point that at the start of the season, I thought without knowing that Dortmund would have such a good start as they had in the Bundesliga, that uh, Frankfurt could be the typical game where they pick up their first loss maybe. Uh, Of course, I saw Leipzig, but I thought a home game, they may also just get a draw or so. But, um, and they nearly did. Sorry? And they nearly did. Yeah, which they yeah, nearly did, so, yeah. Uh, you, you, weren't, Even you weren't off that, that much. Yeah, not not by much, but but Frankfurt, of course, for for a lot of reasons, I think are a very dangerous opponent for Dortmund. Um, <laughs> of course, they, they will uh, seek revenge after losing the cup final, yada, yada, whatever. But uh, I think that Peter Bosch will once again whip out that high line a little bit more than he did against Leipzig. And we all know that uh, Frankfurt did very well in finding that space in the cup final. And I have... Uh, yeah, I find it very hard to imagine that they won't uh, next Saturday because, uh, yeah, Marcel Schmelzer is back in the lineup but he is not back to form I think that will still take quite a while until he is uh, playing at full capacity and in the meantime the uh, likes of Ante Rebic and whatnot uh, will probably run into that space so yeah Frankfurt very good on the counter-attack this this year and uh, if you look at the stats the overalls in the in the league Frankfurt are Pretty much in midfield in almost every category, but they have the third most defensive touches, which uh, already tells you that uh, it's not going to be a nice game for Dortmund. The other 
Two above them, of course, are Augsburg and Leipzig. So maybe uh, you you get the theme that's going to happen. Defensive touches, of course, is uh, everything from blocks, interceptions, tackles, and uh, dispossessions. So um, yeah, that's and, and I think even clearances. So uh, that's that's uh, yeah a summing up value that indicates that Frankfurt like to defend and uh, do it okay, I guess. So last. Um, Before I am even more negative, because I actually don't want to be too negative, because that has been criticized recently, but uh, uh, maybe you focus on the positives and tell me why Dortmund will win this game and remain top of the league. Uh, I was fully prepared to be the negative guy on this uh, episode, so you're, you're <sighs> catching me on the wrong foot. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I wanted to, to point out one more stat, which is not quite as advanced as defensive touches, which I had never heard before. Um, and that is uh, the, the amount of goals scored in Frankfurt games this season, which is 15. Uh, I think probably the lowest amount in the league. Uh, and the same amount uh, of goals scored in all their eight games as Dortmund and their opponents scored in one week, which was the Cologne, Hamburg, Gladbach week in September. So that what that tells you about Frankfurt, as uh, you alluded to with the more advanced numbers, is that they like to shut games down a bit, uh, are sit sitting relatively deeply, Uh, okay, question, Lars. And, and like to hit on are the, they the a transition. More, are they a more sexy Hertha Berlin? <laughs> Sorry, that just popped into my head. Uh, so I mean, there's nothing sexy about Hertha and very little about Frankfurt, even though I guess Nico Kovac is a fine-looking man. So uh, if, if you're so inclined. <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, we all know how this game is going to go. We all know that Frankfurt are going to sit, big, uh, sit back try to hit Dortmund on the counter through uh, Rebic, uh, Gacinovic will. <laughs> presumably will do on a couple of occasions and, and when they don't, they probably will rough Dortmund up a bit. So the question as as with most of these trips to stingy uh, stingy opponents in the Bundesliga who aren't great individually but coach fairly well and, and have enough individual quality to hurt you if you allow them to is How early can Dortmund score if they score at all? And, and, uh, how close to Dortmund get to their, uh, best form? Certainly on attack, but at the moment, we also have to talk about them defensively. And, uh, as I said, I'm prepared to be the negative guy. I don't, I don't really see Dortmund reversing the recent trend at Frankfurt, which is they have lost there on three straight occasions. And certainly if you remember back last year, <laughs> uh, that that might have been the worst performance. A complete I'm, deficiency. Yeah, the complete <laughs> put it. utter whatever failure deficiency, which perhaps the worst game of Thomas Tuchel's tenure at Dortmund. So I could see a, a repeat of that. Maybe not quite as bad, but I'm not really looking forward to this game. Yeah, I am because I'm traveling to Frankfurt and uh, it's going to be my very first time at the... Uh, Waldstadion, so that's at least for me exciting, and I think the weather is going to be nice, so that's that's something. Um, <laughs> but I guess that's where the positives uh, stop for this one. But uh, who knows? Um, maybe maybe Dortmund will surprise us. But considering it's October and uh, the way they've played in recent games, uh, there's little to suggest for me right now that uh, 
they will be firing on all cylinders and will have uh, a sharp possession game to really create many chances against Frankfurt. And I also don't think that the defense will hold up. And I guess that's uh, uh, one of the biggest talking points going into this game with uh, Ömer Toprak potentially having a hamstring issue. And if I was Peter Bosch, I just wouldn't play him considering the upcoming games and uh, that you need your defenders. So that leaves us in the center-back positions, I guess, with Mark Batra. So, uh, Socrates, I was going to say, but he's, of course, suspended. And uh, so Mark Batra, Danaxel Zagadou, and last but not least, Nevin Zubotic. So um, I, for once, personally, looking forward to Danaxel Zagadou and Mark Batra playing together in central defense, although I know there are not a lot of automatism there. And, of course, mistakes will be made, especially with uh, a potential shaky center uh, left back and Schmelzer not being fully fit and another potential fullback uh, being shaky in Toljan. So uh, yeah, that whole defensive line right now looking not looking too great, but I think uh, Zagadou is a better option in his build-up play than Toprak. I, I would make the point, although I can also see why you last could argue against that. But uh, so far, he's done very well. He has impressed me. And Mark Batra, we all know, is doing well. So at least in in, in possession, I think it could be good. And uh, with uh, Zagadou using his body well and maybe his positioning, you could have the enforcer as well next to Batra. So it could be a good center-back pairing with a bit of chemistry. And I would like to get a first glimpse of that. What about you, Lars? I actually don't think they... Uh, they will lack those automatisms you so love, Stefan, because uh, when Batra and Socrates are playing together, Batra's on the left side and next to him is uh, Zagadou. So they they have some familiarity um, with each yes, other. So some, it, but, it's not it's but, not as know, if there's always going to be that one moment over ninety minutes. Yeah, but but uh, Dortmund have had those moments with uh, Hummels and Subotic who've been playing together for seven years. Uh, so it's. It's just something that happens to this team more so than some others uh, around the world, and I guess yeah, that's that's maybe maybe one thing we actually didn't mention from the Leipzig game is that Leipzig, of course, have the most dribbles in the league, and uh, we saw that very well against Dortmund. That they felt very uncomfortable when uh, teams actually or players actually took their players on. So I don't know how much this will happen with uh, Frankfurt, of course, but uh, if you want to beat Dortmund as an uh, attacker, I would advise you just run at these guys. They're not really good at defending that. Uh, but to get back to Zagadou Batra, I think uh, I, I too would like to see that because I could easily see that becoming, uh, you know, a preferred option, you know, maybe one and a half, two years down the road. Even though at the moment, I think Toprak uh, is the in my opinion, is Dortmund's best centre-back and, and should be playing with Bartram most of the games. But that's uh, a discussion we've had before and will probably have again because uh, Socrates is uh, preferred by coaches and possibly even teammates because he's a leader and that's okay as well. Uh, but I do like... The Gonzalo Castro of the central defense. <laughs> Sorry. That, that's too harsh on uh, Socrates. Uh, but I think <laughs> I think uh, Zagadou could actually match up well with uh, Frankfurt striker Sebastian Alle or, or Halla or whatever the hell you... Uh, however the hell you pronounce his name. <laughs> he's French but uh, has a German looking name so... I don't give a damn. Um, he's a buffalo, you know, they, they, he's a target man. He's quick. 
that's all the kinds of things that uh, uh, a physically strong, pretty quick for such a tall uh, Zagadou, uh, who's shown to be fearless, uh, could do well against. So I think Socrates has shown uh, some problems uh, against that type of striker. I think he can get grabby. Especially in the box, as we've just seen, but but I think he gives up too many fouls, uh, is a bit too aggressive at times, and I think the the calm nature that uh, Zagadou has shown so far, in addition to his physical qualities, I think that could be a nice matchup for Dortmund. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but uh, yeah, as I meant. Uh mentioned in the very beginning of that Frankfurt segment, I still think that the most danger Frankfurt will create so via the wings and uh, American listeners, of course, will uh, lay eyes on Timothy Chandler, who I think, uh, you know, often playing as a as a wingback, even not, not necessarily as a fullback. But uh, yeah, I think he will have a couple of good right runs on that right side as well. So if he, yeah. if he plays because he's questionable. Is he? Well, yeah. I, it's it's interesting that um, Frankfurt also have a very long list of, of injured players, but none of them, I think, are too hurtful. Uh, but their <laughs> quote-unquote secondary is uh, injured, so I wonder who will come off the bench for them at some point. Although, no, actually they don't have too many injuries, I, I just saw. Um, so, Prince Boateng. Is he the guy that will make the difference for Frankfurt in this game? Uh, if he does, Dortmund haven't done a great job because he's he can't move any longer. And <laughs> I mean, I I always kind of liked him. I think he's a refreshing guy. He was a fan pitch, favorite when he played for nowadays, Dortmund. That he's half matured season. a lot and doing a lot of great things actually uh, fighting racism and the like so i always liked him i was uh, very sorry that dortmund couldn't afford him <laughs> uh what is it 2009 i think when he was yeah some, he somewhere was there, then. he was too expensive with a price tag of like four million euros which shows just how far dortmund have come but um i mean he's he's basically done athletically so he shouldn't be able to wreck dortmund i the one guy i'm looking at who I could actually see Dortmund being interested in, in at some point uh, is Miat Kacinovic. He's played well against Dortmund before. I think he played pretty well in the cup final. Uh, taking another step, I think, uh, this Bundesliga season. So uh, he's quick, he's technical, he likes to take on shots. I think he could do do some damage. And I mean, very regular listeners who've been with us for a while also know that uh, I think all of us kind of like uh, Mark Schendera, uh, at least before his third or fourth uh, ACL injury. He was a great player to watch and, and uh, we discussed him as a potential Gundogan replacement down the road. So that, that tells you how uh, how long ago that was and, and he might play. Uh, and and even though it's against Dortmund, I just want to see him play well because he, he was on his way to becoming a special player and injuries have, have really taken a lot of his career. So if he plays, I hope he does well, but still loses the game. <laughs> Yeah, I think we, we can settle on that. Yeah, I, I really do wonder uh, how Dortmund find their way against Hamburg's defense and... Uh, Hamburg? Who will... Hamburg? Frankfurt's defense, of course. Uh, Hamburg Hamburg's defense are in trouble because they will face Bayern and that should be another shellacking there. Um, so, 
uh, Mahmoud Dahoud, in, in case you missed it, he had a slight cold or, or some sort of illness and was not available against Nicosia. Uh, that's a guy I personally would like to see in that lineup because uh, he is uh, good at that counter-pressing thing in midfield. And I, I think if there are second balls to be won <laughs> in, in case uh, Bucky has to lump them forward once again, I think he would uh, do Dortmund a world of good. And I, I actually think this uh, could be a good game for Castro. I don't know if Götze will once again play after doing 90 minutes twice this week already. So um, yeah, maybe Daoud and, and Castro could uh, yeah be the double eight for Dortmund in this game. Um, Lars, who do you want to actually see in Dortmund's midfield and attack going forward against Frankfurt? Who do you think is most suited And please don't say Usman Dembele. <laughs> I mean, as long as Adrian Ramos isn't on the right wing, Dortmund still in a chance against Frankfurt, as we saw last <laughs> season. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I think, I, I mean, for me, the answer is the same every week because I think their best uh, solution in midfield is still Weigel, Götzenterhut. And uh, going forward... We uh, only had this once against Gladbach, didn't we? Yeah, and, so and we are unlikely season. to get it this week. Um As you mentioned, Götze played twice, Weigel played against Nicosia, so uh, it's presumably Shahin and uh, Dawood, if he's available. And then the third guy. Have, I, I can't remember seeing Dawood and Castro together on the pitch too much, so it might, might be Kagawa staying on the field. He he was one of the few guys who weren't absolutely terrible against Nicosia. He was just underwhelming, so maybe, <laughs> he, maybe he stays in the lineup. But uh, and, and the the front three... I think it's been well established that Bosch usually plays two guys and brings one off the bench and then in the next game another guy goes to the bench. So uh, I can't even remember who started against Dikusia. Uh I think it was Jamolenko and Pulisic, right? So I would assume uh, that Philip will come in for for either one of them. And uh, Yeah, well, let's just say they were in the lineup. <laughs> in the starting lineup, but yeah. They, uh, they were present for the first whistle and most of what although, happened afterwards let's not although call it I, i will stand by my statement i said it's going to be an easy win after like 10 minutes or so because in the first 10 minutes i thought dortmund actually looked like they were getting somewhere that was actually positive against nicosia and I, and peter bosch reaffirmed me in that statement so um yeah i might have been the massive jinx i'm sorry but uh yeah that's just how it was in in in, in this game um Prediction time, Lars, unless you have anything further to say for that game. No, let's move to predictions. All right. So I I already said that I don't want to be Mr. Negative anymore. So I'm just going to go out with a hopeful 2-1 prediction. I feel like this is the best Dortmund can do in this game. Yeah, I'm with me. going with <laughs> my garden variety. I don't look forward to this game. One all draw. All right. Yeah. Well, if 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 I if I predict this game just with my rational instinct i would say it's a 2-1 win for the home side but uh, let's just move on to uh the next fun game on the schedule and it's an away game in magdeburg i don't actually have it on my screen right now whether it's the thursday match or the uh thursday uh the the tuesday or the wednesday yeah as i said jet lag last i think it's tuesday Yeah, it, it, it's it's Tuesday. Yeah, Dortmund play away to Magdeburg in the second round, right? Is it the second round of the cup? Magdeburg, of course, the uh, third tier side and, of course, the home of Marcel Schmelzer. 
So I guess he'll be psyched to play in that game. Um, do you see this game being a bit similar to uh, the match away to Apuel? In terms of it's going to be a very gritty game with the team def very defensive and I assume a pretty disastrous pitch without knowing how the pitch quality really is. So you're in 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 other terms you are asking me whether this is going to be a cup match is is that what I'm <laughs> I'm gathering? Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, so it's I mean, I mean the, they, they are cup matches where it's just an easy straightforward 3-0 win and sometimes it's not. I mean, uh this reminds me more of the Sportfreunde Lotte match uh, last season um Magdeburg are second in the third Bundesliga, uh, earning, I think, 30 points from 12 match days. So that's a very good record for them. And, uh, one of these Eastern German sides who have a pretty nice following, uh, often called Kult Club in German, which I don't know if that applies to Magdeburg necessarily. I don't, I think I remember them coming close to or even beating Bayern, like, 10, 12 years ago, and that's the only time I think I've seen Magdeburg on television. So I'm perhaps not the the best to ask, but I guess I'm the only one you can ask right now, Stefan. Um, <laughs> yeah, well. I, I, I looked at uh, uh, Magdeburg's squad uh, just before we started recording, and, and I know one guy uh, in, in that team. Uh, uh, let's, let me rephrase it. I, I'm sure I know one of them. I might have heard of a few of them before and saw them in the second division or somewhat. But uh, they do have uh, Dortmund's old nemesis, Dennis Erdmann, uh, in defensive midfield, I reckon, or maybe in central defense. Uh, if you recall him hacking down Marco Reus against Dinamo Dresden in 2015 uh, in a game won by uh, Michael Hefele mistake exploited by the legendary Chivro Immobile. So that tells you really all you need to know about that weird cup match at Dresden two years ago. And ultimately, yes, it is a cup game. So the only thing that matters is the result. And I'm not expecting Dortmund to play fantastically well and don't expect the game to go swiftly. But ultimately, they should be fine just by... Uh, the sheer quality of their individual players being so far greater than the sum of all parts for Magdeburg. All right, then. Uh, speaking of sheer individual quality, um, I guess this finally should be the game where Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang finally gets a well-deserved rest because he has been uh, looking awfully tired recently and uh, I can very well understand why because he is the only outfield player that has played all minutes but five so um, this could be actually a match, I guess, where a couple of uh, players celebrate their comeback, like, for example, André Schule, maybe even in the Aubameyang position. And I don't know how far Rafael Guerrero is. He has been in team trending now for a couple of days. Uh, maybe uh, this could be a game where he picks up a, fur a couple of minutes, depending on uh, how the scoreline goes. But uh, yeah, rotation-wise, this should be a game where Peter Bosch rests a couple of players that usually get a lot of game time but uh can, can i, can I disagree sorry yeah of course you can yeah i i, I don't think uh Obermeyang is getting a rest and 
I think the problem with giving Aubameyang rests, for starters, he doesn't need them often. I, I think he doesn't like them because he, he loves scoring goals and, uh, like, like all truly great ambitious players, they don't want to be rested. They don't want to come off the pitch. And, and also for that kind of game, it, it sends a, a bad signal to the rest of the team. I think if you take out the one guy who's providing all the goals, usually, it uh, it might lead to them taking the game too easily. Obviously, they are all professionals and that shouldn't happen. But on a subconscious level, I think that that does play a part. So if anything, I could see Aubameyang coming off earlier than usual. But I wouldn't uh, hold my breath on Schürrle or Yamolenko or especially Alexander Isak starting that game. I, I, I can't really see that happening. Well, I was just going to say every time I announce a big rotation... Uh the Dortmund coach is picking the best 11 that happened with Klopp, Tuchel and probably Bosch too in, for, for this instance. And uh, to counter your argument, um, Pierre-Merrick Aubameyang wasn't really much of a emotional support against Apoel, so screw that notion. But I get where you're coming from. <laughs> so a prediction for that game, I go first, I guess it's a 2-0 win for Dortmund and then we can all sit back and watch uh, Wednesday unfold where I think Bayern travel to Leipzig. That should be a fun one. Uh, f four days before they meet in the Bundesliga. E exactly, where, where where they can already uh, start the hate spiral going for it to really kick off in the league game then. That's that's what I'm wishing for this match, that uh, Ralf Hasenhüttel will have a nice little moment again with one of those Bayern players maybe Thomas Müller I don't know I feel like this is just something that could happen in a very heated game so I'm very much looking forward to the I guess currently informed two best teams in Germany so yeah harsh to admit but uh, to me that's that's just how it is but uh, yeah we'll see maybe if, maybe Dortmund pick up the slack against Frankfurt and then the whole world will uh, talk a little bit differently again about Dortmund but in the meantime what's your prediction for this game? Uh, 3-1 uh, set-piece goal for Magdeburg, late insurance goal for Dortmund and certainly not a great game of football. Yeah, I agree. So with that, I guess we can knock it on the head, Lars, unless uh, you have any last points to make. No, let's get out of here. All right, so please tell our listeners where they can find you if they ask you for more points. Oh, actually, we, we have one listener question from uh, from Ed Gable Cartoon, Jason Ross, of course, and he asked us uh, whether there's a tactical vision of Peter Bosch uh, looking at the uh, Apoel and, I guess, Leipzig game. I think we partly answered that, but uh, one, last, one last time, Lars, do you see a tactical vision? Well, if anything, that vision has been too narrow in its focus, I guess. I mean, we all, I mean, if you watch Dortmund play, you should know that they have a very distinct style or hope to achieve a very distinct style. So uh, in short, yes, there is a vision. Uh, I just don't know how uh, successful that is going to be at the end of this development. But uh, as I pointed out in the article you've mentioned uh, a, f a couple of times, thankfully enough, um, Uh, we all accepted that Bosch would need time at the start of the season and then Dortmund had all these great results and that raised expectations. So uh, I think, 
he still deserves that time to implement the system fully to get some important key players back, like uh, Weigel, who's only been back for a, a couple of training exercises, it feels like, and, and Schmelz and Guerrero are coming back when we're not even talking anymore about Marco Reus, I guess, but he's eventually going to be available for a game or two, I guess, some point in the season. So, <laughs> in March, yeah. Uh, it's just not yet time to make sweeping, just, uh, sweeping judgments uh, on Bosch's first year because it's only October 19th and Dortmund have only played, uh, what, 12 games or so. So uh, it's still very early in uh, Bosch's Dortmund tenure, so relax. Yeah, I would I would agree. I think uh, there are just so many factors right now just floating about, A, it's the tiredness of players. who Most of them have a lot of games. I mean, we always talk about the... Uh, seven games in 21 days and uh, for for some it's then just a very straining international break and then more games in a bi-weekly rhythm so there's that then the uh, injuries that are piling up a little bit so um, before Bosch can act he mostly has to react on the injuries and, and, and other factors and periodization those things before he can really think of uh, what his ideal shape is because I at least hope for him that uh, he has a different idea of uh, what his best starting eleven is, as we have seen in, in recent games. So there's that, and otherwise, um, yeah, as you said, I I think it's it's too early for any huge judgments, just because he hardly has any time on the training ground to really unfold anything, and the team only really learns from uh, looking at their own video footage and their opponents, which is all nice and well, but. Uh, yeah, if you if you want to play the sort of football that Bosch wants to play, you need a little bit more time on the training ground, especially when we talk about counter-pressing and pressing. We all know that uh, it's a game of inches in that regard, whether uh, yeah you time your run well and who you put in your cover shadow and when uh, the impulse is there to press and all these things. Uh, those yeah need a lot of attention to detail and yeah, right now there's just no time to do that. So it's going to be a patchwork for a little bit, which is uh, why exactly I don't see Dortmund uh, yeah, consistently staying at the top of the table. But I think it's okay. They're still going to comfortably qualify for the Champions League. And I, sh I think they should stay in touch with the top. So if they overcome their bad patch of form, maybe they can still make a run for it. So, yeah, it's still going to be an exciting season. I think uh, Peter Bosch has shown that Dortmund can play attacking and entertaining football under him and that things can go the other way as well. And, uh, yeah, if there's one point to add, I get the feeling that opponent coaches with a little bit more video footage available have it easier now to find Dortmund out. And I guess that's something Bosch has to adjust to. But, uh, uh, yeah. Talk about a learning process. Uh, Peter Bosch has to learn a couple tricks here and there as well. And uh, yeah, just ad adjust. And uh, he is starting to do that. We can see it. So uh, yeah, I withhold my criticism for now. But get out of here. You can find Lars, in case he didn't say that already, at Lars Polman on Twitter. You can find me at Stefan Butzko. You can write, uh, find my written work on ESPNFC. And if you want to get in touch with us, Please do that on Twitter as well. At Yellow Wall Pod is our Twitter handle. 
And if you want to just uh, not listen to us anymore, but read a thing or two, then go on yellowwallpod.com where you find our written content. And yeah, if you want to support our show financially, please do that on patreon.com slash theyellowwall. And as always, you can subscribe to us to iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher. And for now, until next week, goodbye.